You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast, and tonight we're talking about the 1996 slasher film, Scream. You, no trouble. Me, fifth element. Scream being. You will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death, praying for war. But until that day, you are cute. Sound off like you got a pair. No! Welcome to the podcast. I'm Brian. With me tonight, Mr. Paul Williams. What's up, man? I don't know if you guys noticed, but we have a new show intro. Same artist, Aquarius Weapon. Thank you so much, sir. Everybody, please, please go check this guy on SoundCloud. He is a fantastic musician. Yeah, show him some love and support. I I really like the witch quote at the end. I think that's, that's probably my favorite. You know, I always enjoy listening to those and seeing, you know, what he came up with. And the Ecto-1 siren was, was nice. But we're here uh, talking Scream. Uh, th- now, this is a slasher movie. 96. Yeah, right? So, uh, December 20th, 2016. It'll be officially 20 years old. When this movie came out, you know, we were, we were in high school. You know, at the time, we, we, had all, we had both seen all the classics, man. This movie came out. I, I feel like it really it was such it was such a revolutionary and, and new approach on the horror genre. Did you see this when it first came out? Yes, I actually I saw this in the theater. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I saw this in the theater as well. And um, now when you say this was our high school, like this was our high school franchise, man, of, of slasher films. Yeah, we were freshmen. They had like the kids that were older than us. They had the '80s, you know, and then there was those kind of lull in the in the early '90s. This was our slasher yeah. series. This was our horror slasher series. Now, I, kids after us, I don't, I don't think they really had any. I don't know if they had a a, a slasher. Well, I mean, yeah, I, it kind of it kind of turned into Saul I, and and Hostel. You know, there were there were all those other movies in the '90s too, though, man. You had those early. 90s kind of creature movies like Leprechaun and Tremors and there were there were really no like new prominent 90s slasher films because I mean come on dude what can, what can you think about that was brand new freaking Leprechaun because I mean, that's not a slasher either I mean well, there was uh, like a, no hold up a, hold up hold up back up here I would I would almost consider Leprechaun to be yes a slasher film 
I mean, okay, like well, with then, Jennifer yeah. Anderson's, she's the final girl in that movie. Uh, it's about an evil leprechaun. Yeah, he uses magic, but he's still yeah. following following yeah. the slasher movie conventions. It yes, that's where slashers were in the early '90s. It was Leprechaun, uh, Doctor Giggles, you know, movies like that. The Warlock movies. I would not consider those to be slashers. I know, right? I know, I know. That makes no sense. I would consider Leprechaun to be a slasher movie. <laughs> Please explain your logic to me on this. <laughs> I mean, I really want to know. The first Warlock, I would say, is is set up very much like a fantasy movie. It does have time travel okay, elements. Yeah, I'll, I'll and, give you that. Um, yeah, I'll give you that. Warlock two, yeah, but that's different. And I never saw the third Warlock movie, but but that that this is a I side tangent. No, no, no. What, the whole the whole point that we were getting to, I guess, during the early, say, from nineteen ninety to ninety five, there weren't really any extremely prominent blockbuster slasher films. To be fair, there were no there were no blockbuster slasher films ever. No, I know that, but in the horror genre, like movies to actually make a dent in the horror genre. Well, no, I mean that. Well, I'm okay. I'm. I know that sounds like a semantic argument, but that's what Scream did. Scream was an actual blockbuster. This is actually the first slasher movie to make. I think it's the first, and I think maybe its sequel are the only two actual slasher movies to make a hundred million dollars. You had Scream, which was a horror movie, but then the the next big big movie to really do, you know, well, well other than Scream Two, was Blair Witch Project. No, that's not think, true. But hold on, in the nineties, the two biggest horror franchises probably was Scream and Witch. Dude, Blair Witch, man, that movie made a shitload of money. The first Blair Witch did, but I wouldn't call that a. Would you call that a horror franchise, dude? And you're well, going to say it's a horror franchise a of the 90s? Like, it, one film came out at the very end of the of the decade. I don't... Mm. Uh, I understand what you're saying. Like, those were those were films that made, like, over $100 million. Exactly. That's what I'm looking at it at. I'm looking at it as, like, these movies made X amount of money and kind of reinvented the genre and at the same time showed... The critics who had bashed the horror genre for years that, hey, these movies can seriously make some real money. I get what you're saying. But, I mean, people always forget about The Exorcist, too. You can't forget that like that was a huge hit when that came out in the 70s. If any film, like, legitimized yeah. uh, horror, Jaws. you know, Jaws. yes, I, I yes, like, Jaws, The Exorcist, um, and, of course, for the 90s, legitimizing horror and big budget status. Uh, you know, we recently just talked about Silence of the Lambs. That was a huge one in 91. Oh, it was. I think it's really weird thinking about how, how Scream is, yes, correct, a slasher film. But at the same time, it is a mystery film. The mystery element is also embedded in the slasher genre. I don't think that... I mean, sometimes it can be two different things. You know what I mean? The whodunit aspect is not separate from the slasher, I don't think. Prom night and even the Prowler has a, you know, who who could this be? And same thing with um Friday the thirteenth. But they're also terribly yeah. done. You know, even in Friday the thirteenth, it's like yeah. it's it's Mrs. Voorhees and she just comes out of nowhere and it's like, Well, how could I ever guess that that was her? You know, That's like true. I never met That's her before. And and this is another thing that was the most interesting thing about um Scream. 
Kevin Williamson, he he really played off of horror pop culture because Scream is like a slasher movie about slasher movies. It's taking aim at the in the genre, you know. It, it's calling out the critics and saying, "Look, hey, yeah, you guys are right. That does happen." That's really smart from writer Kevin Williamson. That's that's really smart. That's a smart way to make characters more relatable to your audience. Because I do like the fact that they recognize in their universe that horror movies, they do exist, and they recognize all the flaws that the audience recognize in them, right? You know, you see characters do stupid things in horror movies all the time. But, I mean, they kind of need to do it to advance the plot. Whereas in this movie... They're making fun of the of the genre, but then turning around and putting you in that horrific situation, like right afterwards. So, so you get the comedy, but then you get the terror of it. You know, I think well, Nev Campbell says in the movie one time, "Big-breasted girls that should be uh, running out the front door instead of running up the stairs." What's your favorite scary movie? Oh come on, you know I don't watch that shit. Why not? Too scared? No. No, it's just, what's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. It's uh, That line nails it so perfectly. It, in the scene right after, though, when she's getting attacked, what does she do? She runs up the stairs. Now, they give her a reason why she has to do yeah. it, but she's still doing it. You know, I mean, that's what works about this movie. To me, it, I think it was the first successful blend of comedy and horror. Well, slasher and horror. No, comedy and horror. Saying, like Evil Dead, you don't think Evil Dead 2 is the perfect blend of comedy and horror? I mean... No, I do not think Evil Dead 2 is the perfect blend of horror and comedy. There is not a single moment that I find scary in Evil Dead 2. I'm very glad that you brought ah, that up. Okay, I got you. Okay, 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 okay. I don't, you, you know what? You, no, no, no. Oh, I'm glad you I brought you. that up because a lot of people probably will point to that because everyone's like, hey, man, no, the... Army of Darkness, let's be honest, the, the Drew Barrymore sequence in Scream, when you first see it, it's fucking terrifying. Yeah, I will agree with that. That's the thing that I, I really responded to when I saw this film was Kevin Williamson's script is so good. Obviously, I was a hard nerd growing up as a kid. I had seen all these films and already been obsessing about Halloween and all of John Carpenter's work and even Wes Craven's stuff. But man, I, I really, really, really got obsessed with this in high school. Like, I mean, I this was a movie that I sat down and wrote the script for by hand because, uh, you know, you couldn't find the script. <laughs> I remember the two albums I probably heard most hanging out with you was uh, Lost Boys soundtrack and the Scream soundtrack. <laughs> it was one of the two, man. One of the two. When we were teenagers, it really made a big impact. On us, just just as I mean, I would say it made a, just as big of an impact on me as um, Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday Thirteenth or Child's Play or you know, I mean, the list goes on and on, and it's like all the 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 right horror slasher deities, you know, aligned and Scream was made. You know, and that's another thing I feel like yeah, not a lot of people talk about up. Scream. Like nobody talks about the performances, like Nev Campbell. Uh, David Arquette and Courtney, Courtney Cox, Cox they're yeah. all yeah, they're all great, man. A good script with some good actors, a good director. Matthew Willard and Rose McGowan and Drew Barrymore. I mostly think of the three because those are the ones that you know stay yeah. you know in the franchise for so long, and 
I don't, you know, those are the three that I really, really, really love, right? I do like how in the uh, the poster at the bottom, they have to put the highly acclaimed new thriller from Wes Craven. <laughs> no, this is not a thriller at all. I mean, maybe I can understand that maybe there are some thriller elements in it, but I mean, isn't that every slasher film? We haven't touched on it yet. The gore. This is kind of a bloody film. It originally got rated in C-17. I totally don't understand that. Something like Cannibal Holocaust. I could totally understand Cannibal Holocaust being rated in C-17. Not a fucking scream, man. Come on. I have actually I've seen the unrated or the director's cut or whatever it's called. The, the extended edition. Man, it has less than a minute. It may, you know, whatever. It may be a minute of footage, but it's frames in some scenes. Yeah. yeah. They they didn't cut out much at all. <laughs> I, I was listening to the commentary. Yeah. I think Wes Craven was just resubmitting cuts, and he wouldn't he wouldn't even cut them. He'd just re- resubmit them, and they'd be like, no, sorry. You got to cut this down. You got to do something, or we're just going to keep it at NC-17. I mean, I don't really see why it should have it should ever have had an NC seventeen rating. Like to me, that's completely stupid. Some of those uh, late eighties, early nineties slasher movies were, I would say, bloodier and gorier than um, Scream. I would say some of the earlier ones, like you know, if you look at stuff like The Burning, you know, some of Savini's yeah, lesser wow. known slashers, My Bloody Valentine, dude, like. There, there are some pretty gory parts in that movie. That movie's kind of bloody. Yeah, no, those early 80 ones, I'm, I'm with you, man. Some of the early 80s films were just able to get away with more until the MPAA kind of started taking notice. And, you know, I want to I lame a lot of blame on Silent Night, Deadly Night, when that came out. You know, and yeah. that just kind of got moms all over America kind of fired up. You know, it, Santa Claus with an axe. It was on a p- promotional artwork. Yeah, it's a cool cover, but like, guys, what you, I mean, I don't know. I guess that probably ended up making the movie more money because they were like, "Oh, dude, you look at the look at the awesome cover." It was banned. Not only that, but there's there's the whole rape scene in front of the kid. I could see where that might you know piss those kind of people off. All right, guys. So with that, we're gonna take a break, play the trailer for Scream, and we're gonna come back. We are going to spoil this film. Uh, we are going to give away the ending of the movie. Please, if you haven't seen this film yet, do not listen to this podcast. Stop listening now. Yeah, right. Yeah, stop right now. If you know the end of the mystery, the movie's not as fun. No way near as fun. Hello? Hello? Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? This some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Someone is playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now he's taken his love of fear. Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step too far. Do you like scary movies? What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules. 
that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary move. Number one, you can never have sex. Under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. Get another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back! Who do we make the rules? The police are always on track. If they watch prom night, they save time. He just kills by them. Don't answer the phone. Don't open the door. Don't try to hide. And we're back. We're talking Scream. What do you think of this title card, man? Yeah, I like the title card. I, I, I actually, uh, I thought it was awesome. I kind of, I kind of like the title card Ooh, in the second one with the the font that they use in the poster. I, I don't know. I just like that font yeah. better for Scream. And it kind of, it bothers me that this is like at the font at the beginning of the movie doesn't match anything else. In any of the artwork or any of the series going forward, that's a really nitpicky thing, <laughs> but it does kind of bother me. Yeah, yeah. I like the I like the font. I like the intro. I liked how it shows up. It's kind of that snow color white, and then it you know the two kind of come together, and then it becomes red, and then you hear the scream, and then the phone rings. You know, I I really think that's a really cool intro to the movie. I, I definitely like the cut, how it goes from the title card to the phone ringing. That's really cool, man. And I mean, this this whole intro scene, you know, with, with Drew Barrymore and she went to the, the video store. For all you young kids that listen to us, there were places that we used to go and rent movies. <laughs> the, ki- the, kids, the, kids, the kids got it about the VHS, man. I'm going to get so many emails about, God damn, guys, you got to let the VHS shit go. I really love these shots, too. The outside shots of the house, the, the inside shots of the house, the lighting. I really, really love when she turns the patio lights on and it shows the pool and the pool lights are on. And it's kind of like this fog. Oh, dude, I, I love this entire beginning sequence. I like how it looks. I like how it's everything about it is spectacular. The beginning of, of this film Scream, like is, own... yeah, it's like its own little short film. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it's like. And it and the way it's set up and the way it's paced and the way it builds and right away you're getting the references, the in jokes. They they're coming up right at the beginning here and the suspense and how it's building. I mean, dude, the fact that they got Drew Barrymore and she's off in the beginning, it, you know, it's almost reminiscent of uh Janet Lee and Psycho. It is. Very much so. I mean, Drew and Barrymore I mean, was you know, the biggest like- star. On the poster, I mean, like her name was, uh, she was the star of this movie, and she wasn't even in the movie for ten minutes. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know how how long is that opening scene? Is is it not ten minutes? It feels like it's ten minutes. I don't know. It could be. It could be. You're not even in the movie that long, and that warrants you to be on the cover of it. Yeah, I, I I'm pretty sure that's her face yeah. on the poster, right? I mean that is that is Drew Barrymore's. Yeah. But dude, that's just how Hollywood works, man. The biggest star is just going to be yeah. the, the the marquee name. Well, yeah, I know that. I mean, in all honesty, though, I mean, you know, she wasn't the only star of the movie because I mean, you had 
David Arquette, which he had done stuff before that, and Courtney Cox, who, who at the time, dude, was on Friends, and Friends was freaking huge. Nev Campbell was in Party of Five. I think you're missing one major crucial point, though, and it's the fact that if you go see this movie and it stars Drew Barrymore, you expect her to be the star, and when she gets killed off in the first 10 minutes of the movie, (laughs) it's a real big shock, and... If they hadn't played that up, yeah. oh yeah, you know Drew Barrymore, she you know she dies in the first ten minutes, no big deal. She's barely in the movie. No, I mean I, I'm glad they kind of played that up, and that way it's a little bit of a oh oh wow, they just killed Drew Barrymore. Touche on your argument there. And this is you know you bring up the casting. I mean this is one of those movies where I don't know if this is the first one, but I definitely remember kind of after like seeing all the TV stars. Of the time coming into the horror film. Yeah, you know, like Nev Campbell. Like You mentioned Mm -hmm. um, Courtney Cox and Friends, and Nev Campbell was on Party of Five. Jennifer Love Hewitt later on played in uh, what she did last summer. was also written by Kevin Williamson. A lot of people hate those 90s, the 90s imitators of Scream. (laughs) You know, like the the, the 96 slasher run kind of after we got, eh, when did it last? It kind of died out around the... Probably around 2002. Yeah. But, man, yeah, I, I like those had, movies. Urban Legends. I, I mean, the first one isn't, like, I reckon it's watchable, but I've just never been a really big fan of the first. Or I've never been a big fan of the Urban Legends movies, period. They are what they are. I mean, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're slasher movies. You know? I, I didn't have a, a problem with any yeah. of those. I, I liked Valentine. I don't know, man. Those those just hold a special place in my heart. I'm not gonna, you know, apologize for. for... In all honesty and fairness, some of them are a lot better than others, though. I don't know. I mean, I like the ones. I like the bad ones from the '80s, man. You know, like, dude, I, I like those Friday Thirteenth sequels. I, I like New Year's Evil. Yeah. You know, I I like Terror Train. Those are fun movies. Slumber Party Massacre. Uh, you know, I prom night, eh, you know, I have, I have a little bit of hard time with prom night pieces is, you know, it, that has its own charm. <laughs> I'm not a fan of prom night and I've never been a fan of prom night. It's got its moments, but I, I understand, I understand where you're coming from. It's just, man, it's, 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 I don't know. It's shot so weird. It's so soft, but, um, all right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> side, side slasher changet concluded. Uh, we had a little bit of a technical problem, uh, <laughs> so we had to stop our conversation for a moment, but through the magic of editing, you heard nothing at all, um, and I have Paul here now. Uh, he's going to sound a little bit different, but hang with us here. Just to, Okay, we, we talked about the beginning sequence. It's awesome. Her death is horrible, man. Like, her parents are walking right up the fucking sidewalk. She's had been stabbed through the lung, and, and she, like, gasps out for them. And they can hear her breathing on the phone. And she, man, that's, uh, I guess before I became a parent, it was, it was like, I was like, damn, that's rough. And then I'm a parent. And plus, I watched it, you know, I kind of watched it with my wife. She was like, you know, doesn't this bother you? I'm like, no, not really. She was like, what do you think about if this happened in a real situation? Yeah, it bothers me, so man. Fun. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, horrifying, yeah. man, watching this, yeah. watching this girl get uh, brutally murdered. Yeah, it's terrible. I you know I I almost think you know she's gonna get away and when she gets stabbed that first time 
first time I saw it, I was like, oh man, you know, it just, it just got her shoulder. She's going to get up and she's going to fight back. And because it's so, it's nice and tragic too, because the parents are getting home, you know, they, they, and they, they see something's wrong in the house. She's just trying to get away and she's actually on the out, you know, on the other side of the house dying. Yeah. While they're listening to her. Literally right there. Yeah. I mean, it looked like she was no more like maybe 50 feet away from him at the most, you know? I then I like I like that and she reaches up and grabs the mask. That man, that's a really nice touch. Well, I often wondered if she actually pulled it off. No, I think yeah, no, really... she totally pulls it off. That's what I got from that. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Well, they they mentioned later in the movie. Um, we'll go ahead. We're you know we're, we're in spoilers here. Uh, the killers. Um, one of the killers, Stu. Later in the movie, they drop a line that he dated Casey. Who was, you know, Drew Barrymore's character. So I, I always like to think yeah. that he was the one that was over top of her right then. And she took the mask off and that's who she saw. She saw Stu there. Would you ever find yourself, because I noticed I find myself like trying to figure out which one is doing it. Oh, dude, that, that's why you rewatched this movie, right? That's why I, I my God, I don't yeah. know how many times I saw this movie. Yeah, that's the fun part of the film. I think, yeah, Stu may have killed Casey. And her new boyfriend because he was straight up jealous. And the fucked up thing is, man, he was dating Rose McGowan's character. Rose McGowan's character is a lot, hell of a lot hotter than uh, Drew Barrymore. I think I disagree with that, yeah. man. I, I think I would pick up uh, Drew Barrymore uh, first, you know. I don't know, man, but Rose McGowan. I don't know if it's just the outfit or what, man. But yeah, it's yeah. when she walks in that garage. That's what it was, dude. It's that nipple shot that no, this, I actually think- this movie is like famous for. <laughs> yeah, I don't really think there was a guy on Oh, you, uh, like, you think but, she had? You think she had prosthetic? <laughs> I think she might have prosthetic nipples. The sad reality of probably what happened: it was just really cold in the set that they were shooting, and she was oh, wearing that tight that. shirt, and that's just kind of what happened. And they were like, you know, hey, let's let, let's roll with it. Uh, they don't bring it up on the commentary. Uh, Wes Craven does say that it's like, oh, there goes. Uh, Every young adolescent boy's favorite shot in the movie. I mean, it was one of my favorite shots in the movie. <laughs> well, you know, this movie is high on gore, but it's almost no nudity at all. There isn't any nudity. Like the closest thing to nudity is Rose McGowan nip shot. I think I think you get some. Uh, you get you get a little bit of side boob on. Uh, not that I paused or anything. All right, okay. I saw this when I was fourteen. Don't judge. Um, Who the hell do you get side boob on? <laughs> Nev Campbell's character, uh, Sid, later in the movie when she gives it up to Billy. I, I like that. That was a nice, like, again, that was them playing with their cliches. You know, it's so cliched to just have, you know, naked women in horror films. And I do think it's kind of funny when uh, Nev Campbell takes her top off and then Skeet Ulrich's character comes in and blocks all the nudity. I I, I don't know, man. I, I do laugh at that. Yeah. And that dude's like horny as shit. It's like right after Drew Barrymore dies, like he goes in, he goes into a room and there's that scene where he starts, uh, you know, equating the relationships to horror movies. I mean, I understand horny teenagers and all, you know, more hormones than brains. We really got him going back and watching the good. He even brings it up again after he gets out of jail. Remember? Oh yeah. When he tells her she kind of needs to move on. Yeah. He's like, Still, even right here is the bottom line of your conversation and argument is you getting laid. I mean, if you if you want if you want to get laid, man, date Rose McGowan's character. Skeet Ulrich's character does come off a little rapey. A little rapey. 
he does leave when you know she tells him to leave, and dude, she like, flashes when they start him, making out, and then you know he's I mean, like, "You're I, a tease." But like when they're making out, like goddamn Doctor Octopus over here, man, just hands, uh, hands all over. Oh you know? man, oh, come on, Paul. I th- I think I think you're just being too much of a dad with with a daughter now, bro. I mean, I no. I bet I bet you were I bet you were way worse of an octopus when you were an adolescent. Come on, let's be honest here. Okay, we probably both were. <laughs> hey, brother, I'm not making any claims. <laughs> but uh, dude, man, he, when you first meet him, he comes across as kind of like fucking weirdo. Well, he does in some scenes, but then in other scenes, he's very. He's very understanding. No. So he, it, they do a good job making you think that, yes, he's the killer. No, he's he's not the killer. And I, I mean, she even accuses him. Well, I guess she doesn't accuse him of murder, but she doesn't say he's innocent. I mean, from her perspective of what you see in the movie at the time, now, of course, he is the killer, but <laughs> I mean, she didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, he's showing up to save her. I always thought um, Billy was the one who killed uh, Henry Winkler. Haley or Mr. Henley is his name. I think it was Mr. Henley. The Fonz, bro. That that's that's yeah. all you need to say. I always thought that Billy was the one who killed him. Yeah, I, like I always I could thought see that. Billy was the one who killed Rose McGowan's character. Yeah, I think he. I think he kind of has to on that one because I think Stu's still out in the party at that point. Yeah, Stu's at the party, and then all of a sudden, after she dies, Billy just comes up at the door. Just like the one who was, I believe, Billy was in, in uh, Sydney's house that night when he got arrested. I, I mean, think that was Billy. Dude, I, re- I remember like very back in the days of the internet and that was like around 96. But especially like mm-hmm. in 97, like leading up to Scream 2, like, man, I remember the blogs that and, it, and everyone would write out their theories on where, you know, wh- where this killer was at this time and where the other yeah. killer was. Because, yeah. that, I mean, that was the big thing. I mean, outside of, like, you know, 10-minute Drew Barrymore open is really big. And then the big yeah. reveal at the end, and it's two killers. I, I'm sure that's been done before. But I, for, this movie, it makes, for this movie, it makes complete sense, though. Once you find out who the two killers are, this is one thing that Scream also carries with it that maybe some of the other movies in the slasher genre don't so much is the fact that, like, you can actually go back and rewatch this movie, pick up on things, and see things differently than you actually originally saw them in the first place. You can see lines now have double meanings. And the scene that I noticed it the most was in the video store. Stu is standing behind Randy, and Billy's talking to him, and as Billy walks off, he makes some kind of comment, and I can't remember exactly what he says word for word. He makes this comment, then Stu repeats it, basically to Randy. Right there, that kind of shows you, if you really look at the interactions between those three characters, yeah, they're all three supposed to be friends. Billy is definitely the alpha, and then Stu is kind of like his little sidekick over here. And then Randy... Even though they're all supposed to be friends, he's kind of the outsider. It's blocked and it's shot very similarly from the end. Only instead of Randy yeah. in a video store, it's it's Nev Campbell's character Sid in the kitchen. Well, you do get the sense also that Billy is that alpha male, like you were saying, because at the end of the movie, of the two characters, and I think they even say it in the video stores, like, "What's your motive?" It's it's the millennium. Motives are incidental. 
Yeah. And you can kind of tell that that's actually what these two guys believe until Billy drops the bombshell that Sidney's mom was having an affair with his dad. His dad left. He went crazy, killed Sid's mom, and now is going to kill her and all their friends. The idea that he actually has – Billy's character actually has a, a motivation for, for doing what he's doing, whereas, whereas like Stu's was – what is the funny line he's got in the movie? Like it was peer pressure. <laughs> Hello? Oh, Stu, Stu, Stu. What's your motive? Billy's got one. The police are on their way. What are you going to tell them? Peer pressure. I'm far too sensitive. Well, rip you up, you bitch! Just like your fucking mother! You gotta find me first, you pansy-ass mama's boy! Fuck! Fucking hit me with the phone, dick! Fuck around! Once you watch the movie and then you go back and watch it again, really does come back, come across as a, a totally... You have this totally different light in it. And then, like I said, you start picking up on the little, the little nuances and the little things in here and there that are in the movie. That the first time through, you just looked at it like it wasn't nothing. Like, for example, I'll give you another example. When Sydney goes into the bathroom and she's standing there at the mirror and then she looks back and you see, see the boots come down. Well, later on, those same boots are the exact same boots that the sheriff is wearing. I didn't need a second time to pick up on that, though. I, I caught that when I was watching the movie, though, because that, yeah, that's I like a that, red herring thing. Saying, yeah, but I, I love the fact that first time through, the movie also does all these things to completely throw you off. You know, that was a thing that they did have to worry about, like, because this movie was more more about who is the killer than a lot of other slasher films, so they couldn't just have the killer just wear a mask. Because, you know, Wes Craven, you <laughs> even ask uh, Kevin Williamson, like, they're going to be able to see who it is by their their shoes and their hands and what they're wearing. Yeah. And Kevin Williamson just looked right at Wes Craven and was like, not my problem. I'm the writer. And, you know, we haven't really talked about it, but, man, this this mask and this outfit is really iconic. Yeah, it, it has really become iconic. I still see this in Halloween stores to this day. Every single solitary year. There's so many elements of the of the movie that you know that are are really really awesome. The shots, man, like the the one shot where um, Nev Campbell goes back to her house and falls asleep on the couch. Even before that, when she's talking to Rose McGowan's character on the phone, like those those shots, man, when she's like on the second story balcony and all that beautiful landscape behind her and stuff is like. I I really I really appreciate seeing that in a flasher movie. Okay, I'll I'll be honest with you, and I don't I don't I don't mean this in a, a disrespectful way. I really don't care for this kind of style of cinematography. This very high gloss look. Really, I'm not a fan of it. it was very big in the '90s. It was extremely big in the '90s. Um, I feel like Dimension Film did it a lot, like especially with the like the the Hellraiser sequels, like Hellraiser 3. Yeah. You watch Hellraiser 1 and 2, they look very similar. They and, then when you, and then when you get to 3, yeah. and Dimension Films comes in with their budget, it's not bad cinematography. It's very it's very well done. I'm not saying it's bad, yeah. but just from a, an aesthetic point of view, like I don't know if I like it in terms of what what I think a horror movie should look like. Like another slasher that I really liked the way it was shot was um, like high tension. 
the French film yeah. from uh, Alexander Aja. I loved how that yeah, was shot. Like I liked that gritty look. Now, now yeah. that's a different film from Scream, and I think maybe Scream uses this high gloss kind of like very. I'm gonna say high gloss is such a terrible word. It, it uses this very clean, sharp look. Oh yeah, it definitely does. And I think it works better for this film because of the comedy elements. I don't want to say it airs on the side of like a, what a, what a comedy looks like in terms of cinematography and use that as a knock because you know I've seen a lot of comedies that look great. You know, Doctor Strange loves a comedy and that's fantastic. That's a gorgeous yeah. movie. They do work in the heart elements into the cinematography, which I do appreciate. But I mean, because yeah. it's a comedy, I, I'm just more open to let this pass. Like I think this even looks more more professional and. Then even something like uh, I know what you did last summer. Like I thought, I, I you know, like even that looked a little bit more rough around the edges than this yeah, movie. Yeah, the first shot of the school, like that that pan, it, it, it's like a crane panning shot where the crane kind of comes back and then goes down and then pans left. Are you talking about when they they show the school for the first time with all the reporters? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, there. yeah, that's a steady cam operator that's riding a crane, and when the steady cam and the crane gets low enough to the ground, the steady cam op walked off, and then it became a steady cam shot. Well, there you have. Yeah, dude. I you know, low budget ingenuity. I mean, I personally enjoy the cinematography in this movie. Like you were saying, that clean and pristine look to the film. I think it totally fits the film. And not only that, but the, the nighttime shots in that movie, I think, look incredible. I do like how it's vibrant looking and how it's how everything, even the night shots, look very, very polished and clean. Well, that's just because they're blasting those HMIs, though, out there, dude. Like, that's not, it's, a very, it's, it's very stylized, because when you think about it, that's not what night looks like at all. Yeah. I mean, pretty much what you're looking <laughs> at is you're looking at, like, a football stadium you know, in the middle of the woods, because that's that's pretty much what they're doing. I don't know. If you're going to blast HMIs and make that, like, moonlight, or to make it look like night, I prefer it when it's more blue, kind of like the way Halloween looks. Like, I really like the way night looks in Halloween. Well, Evil Dead too, man, um, done, in, done in that as well. And I, and I really like that, that bluish look, too. And I, I think it would have looked a little bit more interesting in, in screening, maybe. But, I mean, seeing Scream the way it is, dude, I don't well, think I'd want to change it. That's, just what, yeah, I, no, that's you, just what I prefer because that's what I, you know, that's what I saw first. And yeah, that's well, what yeah, I, it makes sense, I grew up man, with. Because now that you pointed it out, dude, especially when. Because Moonlight's uh, not really blue either. You know what I mean? That's just no, a. That's, no. Okay, like you were talking about uh, Drew Barrymore's house in the movie. You see that exterior with that, like, the swing. You know, it's like you look at that and it's supposed to be a house at night in the middle of the country. If you actually stop and think about it, it's like, well, why is that lit like a football field? But we just accept it when we're watching the movie, like, oh, yeah, that's movie night. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's I don't, movie night, yeah. That, yeah, that's just because that's that's what we have to do in cinema to get an exposure in night. Good damn cinematography. I'm not going to argue uh, with that at all. No, I mean, the framing's really well done as well. It's not just the lighting. Yeah. You know, we were talking um, 
about the end of the movie and you know we we get that that reveal billy lays down his motivation i love that whole backstory man i i loved the whole sydney's mom and and how you found out about that in the movie yeah i, I do too man I, I like i said man that's just just brilliant writing I mean, it starts off because, like, she's a victim, right? Her mom died. And that's yeah. that's what you, that's the information that you start off with knowing. And you get the conflict between her and Gail, Gail Weathers. And Gail Weathers thinks that Sydney falsely identified um, Cottonweary, a, a, a character Cotton that <laughs> a character that comes up in the in the later movies quite a bit. You you slowly start to to learn that Sydney's mom kind of kind of was the the town hussy. She was she was kind of the town tramp. Okay, stop trying to be nice about this. She, she was the town whore. The lady got around, man. I mean, I like that plot device so much with her mom and how that evolves. And yeah, because I mean, of course, of course, you know, man, in the beginning of the movie, she's going to defend her her mother's honor. You know, I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, her her mom got killed. As an audience member, you immediately get sympathy for this character and. Maybe she falsely identified this guy. Maybe she didn't. The movie never really 100% tells you one way or the other. It kind of hints that she did. Pretty strongly hints. Until you, until the end. And, you know, of course, there's the big reveal and everything. And, I mean, at one point in time, you're led to believe that her father could possibly be a kill, the killer, too. Um, oh, he was my number one suspect. I don't know, man. I had to say, I thought Billy Loomis was... I thought he was the killer. What? Really, After he really died, did. you still thought that guy was the killer? I mean, he got killed. Well, I mean, dude, after he died, I mean, it was like, well, I guess I was fucking wrong about that. <laughs> but then I turned out to be right about it, damn it. Yeah, this movie has some serious mind fuckery going on. But the two killers, you know, his buddy Stu comes in and does a fake murder on him. And dude, that's a that's a really good misdirect. And how they call Yo, that out definitely. later... With the corn syrup, uh, the carry line, and the uh, oh, yeah, we all go yeah, a little yeah, mad yeah. sometimes from Psycho is brilliant, man. I loved that. Stu's flipped out. He's gone mad. We all go a little mad sometimes. No, Billy! <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Perkins, Psycho. Mm. Corn syrup. Same stuff they use for pig's blood and carry. When I first saw him come stumbling down those stairs and he was laying on his back, I'm like, dude, if you got stabbed that many times in the chest, your ass wouldn't be up walking around. I I was a little mad. I was like, dude, you're bringing this guy back? I thought you killed him off. I was I was super happy that you killed the boyfriend off. I thought that was ballsy move. That's super dark. And I was like, no, nah, now you're bringing the boyfriend back, and now he's going to come and help the girl save the day. Here we go. Well, see, I think, I think that's what everybody thought. Because, I mean, I even, there was a point where I even thought when he was like... When he oh, got of course that's what everybody thought. That's what they wanted you to yeah. think, right? But then when, when he asked her for the gun, I was like... Hmm. I know, see, I still didn't think anything then. It's not until he, he shot that guy. I was like, what? what? What's going on? Okay, what did you oh, think yeah. about... I know slashers were they're always like knives and like crazy weapons. What did you think about the gun being so in play at the end here for a slasher movie? 
guns had been used in slasher films before, just usually not by the killer. They usually used on the killer. Shooting fucking Jason Voorhees with a gun. What gets me so excited about the idea of there's being two killers when they start stabbing themselves to look like they're oh, yeah. victims of the crime as opposed to the people that perpetrated it, it's brilliant, yeah. man. I just I get a smile on my face every time. Yeah, and it almost goes to show you right there, man, like how far this guy was willing to go to get revenge. It's nice to see the killers like using their brains, showing that they have seen scary movies and they're knowledgeable of them. And it's like, well, look, hey, we we haven't seen this right here in a horror movie before. Yeah, this is what we're doing with our movie. That's a little different. And I, I think that's another thing that really set Scream apart and really made Scream the, the giant success that it was. Is because of all those little elements and those little nuances and those little references, that's really what I think made Scream the classic that it is. It's definitely what makes it rewatchable, right? But that's what makes it a classic. Because a classic's not a classic unless it's rewatchable, right? I don't know, dude. I have shown a lot of people movies that I think are classics <laughs> that they fall asleep in. And I'm like, no, wh- why? Why are you falling asleep in that? That's brilliant. Come on. I don't even know what to say about that. Man, yeah. I've I've had people that have been mad at me for letting them borrow The Exorcist. and two thousand, Yeah, and 2001. And just been like, oh, man, that was just terrible. That was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Wow. It takes, it takes all kinds to make the world go around. But, um, I, you know, we were talking about uh, characters um, coming back, like, you know, re- referencing mostly the boyfriend, Billy, there. Uh, they yeah. do bring back uh, Dewey. So I do like how they call out the cliche of Billy coming back. <laughs> and they're like, oh, no, look, we're going to do something cool and original. Look, he's really the killer. He faked his death. And then. Even though Dewey got stabbed in the back, you know, it's like you still see him loaded in the in the ambulance at the end. And I kind of like the way they play off in Scream too, like where where he's still like fucked up, dude. Like he walks with a limp. Well, hey, look, man, I think we're probably wrapped up our discussion here pretty much for Scream One. Uh, before we go into clo- closing thoughts, uh, you you want to talk here real quick about the the sequels? Scream Two is good. Scream Four is good. All right, you you missed a number there. No, I did. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Let me see. <laughs> no, I didn't. We're talking about Scream, so that's one. You said Scream two and four. Yeah. There's a number that comes in between two and four, buddy. All right, well, we're not going to talk about that damn number. I do think Scream three is the weakest by far, hands down, yeah, the weakest yeah, entry. Yeah. But I still like it, though. It's not a movie. That, I mean, I don't hate it don't like that movie that much, man. Like, I just don't like Scream 3. I understand what you're saying. Scream 3 is, you know, it's definitely not the best. Touche, but I like how it builds off this backstory of Sydney and her mom and moving forward yeah. and how how this one event in her life had this huge ripple effect for her. And I, I love how strong she is and... Dude, I love Nev Campbell so much. Like, dude, Nev Campbell was my scream queen. Like, when you say scream queen, I don't think of Jamie Lee Curtis right away. 
I mean, I, I, I feel like I almost have to, but I think of Nev Campbell first. Like that's that's who I think of. Yeah, I can see that. I just I just like her. I like how she doesn't let herself be a victim, and I like how she lies through to herself in, in this movie. When her when she comes to realizations with what her mother did, and and how that affects in all the other films, and you know the only thing I guess, and the reason I don't like Scream Three is because her her character goes into like a a reclusive state in that movie, and I felt like that was kind of a betrayal of the Sydney character. I felt like Sydney was so much stronger than that, especially if you watch Scream One and Two, and then you put Three in and. I don't know. I felt like that missed the mark. Like that's not that's not who that character is. I think that was another reason why I really didn't care for Scream Three. All right, Paul. Closing thoughts for Scream. Scream is a fantastic, fantastic movie. It definitely put more of a who did it mystery kind of spin on horror. It'll keep you guessing the entire time. To me, it was just a such a breakthrough milestone movie of its time and watching it now I find it just as enjoyable and interesting as I did when I was 15 years old I mean you know we haven't brought we haven't really mentioned it that much but you know the movie's dated a little bit it is from you know it's 20 years old now 96 yep it does feel very 90s oh yeah it does if this is something you haven't seen in a while then give this movie a rewatch you owe it to yourself Every time I watch this film, it makes me want to watch so many other slasher movies. It just gives me that bug. I think it's Wes Craven's best film. I think it's one of the three greatest slasher movies ever made. My three favorites are Halloween, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Scream. They have withstood the test of time, and I think they all also do something unique and different outside of just delivering some scares. Did you want to bring up this Brett Peterson stuff? Yeah. We like to give uh, Mr. Brett Peterson a personal apology for not putting up episodes for a few weeks and uh, (laughs) ruining his, his travel trips for Thanksgiving. So Mr. Brett Peterson, we sincerely, sincerely, from the bottom of our peace-sized heart, we are sorry. Mr. Brett Peterson was pretty mad there. I, I, I do I do understand, you know, it's like you're expecting an episode. You don't get an episode. And man, I'm, I'm so glad that there's somebody out there that actually listens to us enough, that cares enough to write, you know, that, that strongly to us. And we are sorry that we missed missed that we messed up your Thanksgiving. I'm not trying to laugh and sound like a douche while I'm saying this, but <laughs> no, we really are. You know, it's really weird because it's like when we both heard the you know read the email, it's like, can we be offended? I have all this guilt from ruining this guy's Thanksgiving drive. Yeah, we're seriously sorry <sighs> in a weird fucking way, man. Thanks for sending us that email. All right, guys, so before this goes off the rails any further, uh, we're going to close out the show tonight. 
If you guys want to get in touch with us, our email address is themoviecrew at gmail.com. That's themoviecrew. Crew is spelled C-R-E-W-E. That's right, extra E at the end, at gmail.com. If you guys want to get in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter, we're at moviecrewpod. Paul, where can people follow you, sir? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Paul R. Williams, J1. Like always, if you could please give us a rating or a thumbs up on iTunes and Stitcher, we surely would appreciate that. It helps people find out about the show, helps us grow. So thank you in advance because I know you're going to do that right this second. Nobody's listening to me at this point anyway. Everybody turned off the podcast. And to reward you for all your awesome listening right now, uh, we're going to play, let's, I don't know, what do you want to, so our musical selections for tonight are going to be, first up, Bird Brain, Youth of America, which I'll try to find the music video for, because I'm thinking they did a music video for that, and if I can find it on YouTube, I'll put that in the show notes. And we'll also play some of Marco Beltrami's score. Uh, You know what? We haven't talked about the score for this. This score is pretty amazing. Yeah, it is a very good score. And I swear to God, dude, did you notice in Scream 2 that I swear that music from Scream 2 is the same beat from Broken Arrow? It sounds like it, doesn't it? So our our second track will be uh, Marco Beltrami's Trouble in Woodsboro. Enjoy. Later. Later.